Praise God. Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation. Um, we serve a marvelous God. I'm telling you, a marvelous, marvelous God. Hallelujah. Revelations. What is Revelations? Revelation is a revelation of Christ Jesus, but it is also a revelation of the past, that is, of his past victorious resurrection, as he has the keys of hell and of death. And it is a revelation of the identity of the believer. God has made us kings and priests unto our God. So it is a revelation of his past resurrection, his past victories, and our uh, past seedings and identity with God. But then he writes to John and says, but tell them the things that are and the things that will come. The things that will come begin in Revelation, the fourth chapter, and on through the last of the books of Revelation. We're going to be talking about them and doing a big chart here on Wednesday nights uh, in a couple of uh, weeks or so. But John is talking to the present condition of the church. Now, this is the churches of Asia Minor. This is where Paul went and preached. He says in Acts, the 19th chapter, everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord. And then he tells in 2 Timothy, he says, but all they that had embraced me in Asia have now separated or forsaken me. So what do we have here? Now we have Jesus Christ raising up a watchman. And John is preaching to churches that have received the gospel. And it's been less than 40 years from the time that Paul preaches to them to the time that Jesus raises up John the Revelator. So John the Revelator, in this generation, a church has backslidden. And they don't even know that they have backslidden. The only church that God doesn't have anything against is the church in Smyrna. So we talked about her last week. This week we're going to talk about another church called Pergamos. But this church is, like many churches, doing certain things, but they have allowed the devil to come in and certain doctors come, doctrines to come in that Jesus is not pleased with. Now, why does Jesus rebuke the church? Because he loves the church. He's rebuking a church to get a church ready. Jesus is about to come back for a church without spot or without wrinkle. And so Jesus raises up a watchman. A watchman declares what he sees and what he hears. John the Revelator, by uh, a word of knowledge, by a prophetic inspiration, sees the condition of the present-day church. I'd like to tell you that that church does not exist, but it exists more today than it has ever existed. Remember what Jesus tells John. What they says to one church, he says to all churches. Speak this to the churches, plural. So this is a word to the church, not only of the present-day church of John's time, but the present-day church of our time. This is a heralding. This is a message. This is a warning. This is a calling to the church to sanctify herself in order to prepare to meet the Lord. And so we're going to pick it up in Revelations, and we're going to pick it up in verse, let's see, verse 12. Revelations 2, 12, it says, and the angel, now we talked about who the angel is. The angel is simply the spokesman or the man of God that God has set in the church or the assembly. 
the angel of the church in Pergamos, write these things, saith he, which hath the sharp sword and with two edges. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even Satan's seat, is that thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Pretty good. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyrer who was, not, was, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast them, there are them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent. Now, why does Jesus tell them to repent? Because repentance says there is sin in their life. The reward of sin is death. Now, I would just throw it out very quickly. If this church doesn't repent, they're going to be lost. Now, there are two things that are going to happen. Those that are adhering to these doctrines, they are going to be cast out and they're going to experience an eternal hell. But the church itself is going to lose its candlestick. It's going to be taken out of the mist. In other words, the notification or the recognition, the identity of being an assembly of God will disperse and will be lifted off of them. They will be an assembly, but they will be an assembly of their own accord. It will not be born of God. It will not be anointed of God. It will not be blessed of God. It will be, as it were, a socialistic gathering. So many of our churches today are socialistic gatherings. They're not houses of preparation, houses of, of spiritual authority and identity. They're not houses that proclaim Jesus. I dare say this, that a lot of churches today are nothing but places where charismatic people have found a place to preach self-helps and they gather those that are blind and they gather those that refuse to see and they gather those who refuse to hear. Could it get an amen? They have no sound doctrine. They do not preach Jesus. They preach principles, but they do not preach Christ. The faith life is not a principle-filled life. A faith life is a Christ-centered life. Could it get an amen? I understand that's not a popular message, but it is the only message. Amen. And if we are looking for self-helps, if all we do is get self-helps to be self-embedded, to arrive, to achieve, to reach our goals and our dreams, you're about as useless as air coming out the wrong end of a dog. I bet you never heard that example before. Yeah, okay. We're going to talk today, hallelujah, about the church at Pergamos. Jesus says, you've done these things, but I have somewhat against these. Somewhat. You know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus is rebuking a church to cleanse itself, to sanctify itself, to ready itself, to repent so that they can be an overcomer, so that they can eat of the hidden manna, so that they can discover their names that have been written on white rocks before the throne of God. Now, when Jesus begins to talk to this church, he says something. I know where the seed of Satan is, 
and I know, and he says it twice, and then I know where the seat of Satan in the midst of you is. There are two seats of Satan that every Christian uh, has to deal with. It is the enthronement of the principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness, rulers in heavenly places that oppose what a believer and a church do. They oppose them. That is one seat that has been set up. But then there is a seat of Satan that he finds through believers that institute or operate under his leading or his guidance. And these people end up being deceived and becoming instruments of the devil in the assembly of those that are working or seeking or living for God. Now, the reason we know that is because Paul says, look, you have those that are among you that believe in the doctrine of Balaam. In other words, they have denied the faith of God. They have turned from God's ways and turned to the ways of Balaam and Balak. We're going to talk about that. But the first thing that Jesus warns this church is this. He says, I am he that holds the two-edged sword. What does a two-edged sword mean? It speaks to us of judgment. If he had not said, I hold the two-edged sword, why would he reveal that to a church that he was rebuking? He's telling that church that I am the judge of the living and of the dead. I am the judge that brings righteousness to the forefront and takes iniquity out of the hearts of people at rebuke. Now, when we talk about the double-edged sword of Jesus, it, the sword is what? The Word of God. Ephesians 6.17 says that we are to pray with all manners of prayer, taking the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit has two edges. One is to execute the wrath of God. The other is to sanctify and to circumcise the people of God. And we find that in Hebrews 4.12 where the Word of God is quick, more powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder uh, the soul and the spirit, the flesh and the, the works of the flesh and the things of that nature. So it divides us. It separates us. But the other one executes judgment because of rebellion against us. So Jesus warns them. So in this, Jesus says in John 5, that the Father judgeth no man, but he has given all judgment to the Son. How many of you know that Jesus is going to judge people? Amen. What is Jesus? Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the sword of God. He is the judge of all men. John 5.30 says this, that Jesus, when he comes... He is going to overthrow the, light, the darkness of men and expel or unveil the light of men. And it says this, that Jesus gives us a way out. But when we do not repent, it engrafts or enables the, uh, the king of darkness, Satan, to enthrone himself over our lives. Could I get an amen? Now, let's go to John 5.30. Notice what Jesus says in this scripture. It's real unique because I can hear all your minds going right now. You can't judge me. I know it. I would never try to judge you. But Jesus says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. What do you think he hears? The voice of the Father. What is the voice of the Father? It is the word of God. 
Is it not? Absolutely. And then it says this, and my judgment is what? Just. Now, here's how judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father that hath sent me. In other words, Jesus has no personal involvement in making a judgment against another. Now, you might say, well, well, no man can judge me. You're a Christian. You can't judge me. I'm glad you said you was a Christian because we're going to find out that we get to judge you because you said you are. Now, so here it tells us that we need to make sure that we never judge anybody based on our own personalities and our own likes. Too many Christians use sorcery or witchcraft in order to pass judgment. What? Yeah. Witchcraft is a work of the flesh. It is simply manipulation. Women manipulate their husbands by headaches and all that kind of stuff. Husbands, no, 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 listen, listen, I'm talking to you very seriously. See, you think that that's natural. You think, but the Bible says that their body is not their own. And no woman or man should say no to their husband except you are on a fast or a time of seeking the Lord. But we manipulate, we corral, we confuse, we hold down, and we lead people to the place that we want them to be led to by the things that they need or by the things that they would desire. When you corral or judge people to fit your spiritual likes and dislikes, that's called witchcraft. That ain't God a mile away. That is nothing but the work of the flesh. I'll say it again. It is the work of the flesh, and you're dabbling in witchcraft. It's manipulation. It is control. Control. People that, when they get under pressure, well, you know, he, he just gets mad. That's control. How do I take care of it? Get a ball bat, knock him on the floor, and dare him to do it again. I notice that those types of spirits never rise up when I'm around. I come to the house, it's hallelujah, mba, kumbaya, umba, umba. Oh, we love the Lord God. Oh, we're serving the Lord with all of our hearts. And as soon as I leave, you're mad, you cussing, you fussing. You know what? You better watch it. You're dabbling with the devil, friend. Did you hear me? You're dabbling with the devil. You trying to control people because of your emotional ups and downs? Ladies, get yourself a life, will you please? And start living for Jesus. Praise God. You are not to manipulate your household or your friends. And let me inform you another thing. If your children are manipulating your household because of their tent or tantrums, I would encourage you to take a rod and lay it to their rear end and drive their soul from hell. Now, that's what I would tell you to do. I bet them visitors said, oh, my God. Yeah, well, that's what the Bible said. And you are not smarter than God. I'm I'm telling you. And if we have this type of stuff going on in our households, listen, nobody wins. You are working in a place where you're opening the door to demonic powers to your children. And you need to stop. Yeah, moving right along. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then Jesus says this in John 12, 31. 
It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus promotes judgment. Why does he promote judgment? Because without judgment, the enemy will gain superiority or supremacy over those that do not judge their lives and they will become an access way to the rest of the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. And I know you're so glad you come. But listen to me. Judgment is not a bad thing. It is what guarantees you eternal life. It guarantees you eternal life. So Jesus promotes judgment because whenever judgment is executed in a believer's life, the foundation of the enthronement of the prince of this world is broken and he loses dominion and authority over your life. And he stops having access to the body of Christ, to families, and so forth. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, and we're going to read from 29 down through 32, I think. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now please understand that when we come to the place of communion with the Lord, it is a time not only to reminisce what he's done for us and that what he is about to do to receive us, it is also a place that we are to judge our lives that we have not reincorporated the things that we have once cast off as sin. And so we have to judge ourselves. If you don't, the alternative is damnation. Oh, you're, you're scaring me. I hope I scare you right out of where you don't want to go. Now, let's go to the next verse. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, there are twofold, a twofold thing. First of all, when Christians don't judge themselves, they allow things into their life that simply are not God, sickness and disease. Some Christians accept that that's normal. It's not normal. It's an attack of the devil to destroy your life. The other thing is, when you don't judge yourself, the enemy is going to have an opportunity to have access to your life, to your health, and to the length of your days. And he'll have it justly because you have not judged yourself. The proverb says that there's a whole harvest, a lot of tillage in the seed of the poor, but because they don't judge their self, it is eaten up by everything but never brought to their barns. Now, next verse. And it says this. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be what? Wow, judge. Next verse. But if we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So when believers do not judge themselves, the, al the alternative is you are going to end up standing before the great white throne judgment instead of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let's go to, uh, for, yeah, let's go to Luke 19, 20 through 22. Luke 19, 20 through 22. Remember, we're talking about judgment. And it gets better if you're right. All right. And another came saying, Lord, 
Behold, here is my pound, thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, and takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. Next verse. And he said unto him, Out of your own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knowest that I was an austere man, having up, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Next verse. Wherefore then gavest thou my money to the bank, and at least my coming I might have required mine with mine own with usury. Next verse. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. And I say unto you that unto every one which shall be given which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. And But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now, what did Jesus say? Listen to what judgment is. Judgment is knowing the will of God and doing it. A lack of judgment is knowing the will of God and not doing it. And not doing it. What does that mean? If you know that God told you to do something, friend, if I was you, I'd do it. You can read other interpretations of this, and Jesus says, take that pound and cast that wicked servant. Jesus considers a life filled with judgmentlessness a life of wickedness. Righteous people rejoice in judgment because it cuts off those things that God is abhorred at or which God hates. Now, how many of you know that God's told you to do something? Don't raise your hand because I might embarrass you. You have prophecies. You have things that God has spoken to you and you haven't done them. Well, let me tell you, this is the day of judgment. And if I was you, I'd get out those CDs those cassette tapes, that's how, how old some of you and how long you've been in rebellion is you're clear back in the cassette tape world. You tell me, oh, I know God wants me to do something. You can tell me what you do, and you don't do it. Let me tell you something, friend. The day is coming, and you're going to stand beside, be in front of a faithful, just God. And he's going to say, you had and you didn't do and you're going to say, oh, I know, but you're merciful. And he's going to say, no, depart from me because I've never known you. You have been a wicked man towards me. You've been a rebellion towards me. You've said I was Lord, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. Now, I'm hoping this just shakes you to your core because you, so many Christians think Jesus is an option. Oh, yeah, is an option. And the thing of it is, when we think Jesus is an option, everything produced after its own kind. Do you know 75% of Christian children raised in Christian homes do not even believe that Jesus is the absolute Savior? He's an option or one way to God. Where did he get that? Because God's been an option in your life. Oh, man, you're asking us like to be real Christians. 
Oh, you're kidding. No, no, I'm not asking that. Jesus is commanding that. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just telling you Jesus commands you to be Christians. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. The Bible says this, Psalms 119.9. How shall a young man cleanse his way except through the way of the word? Any time that you do not incorporate the word of God into your life, you are walking in ungodliness. I, this, I know this is horrible. But I'm just telling you, you either live by the word or you don't live by the word. There's no hypocrisy. Let, let's just look at ourselves and say, you are not who you should be. Don't put the mask back on. Lay it down. Flush it down the toilet. Grind it up. Throw it away. Burn it. But don't put the mask on. Because when we go to heaven, there are no masks. We brought nothing into this world and we're taking nothing out of it. So Jesus tells us this. You are going to have to apply the word of God to your life. That, re that brings me to something. Our society has so influenced the church that we build our life around society instead of society being built around God. Come on, all you soccer moms on Sunday. <laughs> you football playing dads. Hallelujah. You're dedicated to your children. Right. No, you aren't. You're dedicated to what you like doing. You're dedicated to the euphoria of being identified with society. I'm trying as fast as I can, but I'm losing them faster than I'm going. Now, yeah, all right. Now, that's self-judgment. Somebody say self-judgment. Self-judgment needs to be absolute, and it needs to be radical. And it needs to be followed through on. You don't go to home today and say, oh, man, I feel so bad. If you feel bad, that's your fault. I'm not condemning you. These are not my words. These are the words of the Lord. Now, if you have a problem with God condemning you, then talk about him. Just, just go to the Chinese restaurant, the uh, hoochie restaurant, I mean the Mexican restaurant, and, uh, and have uh, hoochaladas or whatever you're going to have, and talk about how mean and critical and condemning God is. But don't talk to me about condemning you. If you got something going on in your mind, that's not my problem. Because I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you what God is saying so that you are not condemned with the world. And sometimes when people think they're feeling bad, that, oh, pastor, he just makes me feel so bad. Why do you feel bad? If you don't have sin in your life, why would you feel bad? You think, well, well you just don't know. Oh, I do know. I go through this weeks before you ever get it. Yeah, I've already been tracked up, scarred over, and thrown under the bus before I get here. Yeah, I've already been through the fire. Now, you can smell my clothes at any given day, buddy. They're, they're just smoldering. Now, judging of others. Woo! Let's go to 1 Corinthians 5.12. 1 Corinthians 5.12. Hallelujah. 
For what do, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that, what? What'd that say? Oh, good night. All right, next verse. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among you yourselves that wicked person. A wicked person. So, all of that fake religious shield that you put up, you can't judge me. I beg your pardon. I am to judge those that are within. And I have to look at you close enough to see if you're a wicked person or not. Because if you're a wicked person, then the church has to know it. So it can put it out. Like Paul did this man for the destruction of the outward man. That hopefully he will turn and accept the grace of God and be reinstated in righteousness. So do we judge others? Absolutely. What are the boundaries? Well, the Bible says that we can't judge anybody after our own self. We have to judge them a righteous judgment. In other words, we have to judge them based solely on the word. And then we can't judge them solely on the word without love being the pivotal point of all judgment. So the first thing we have to understand is that God's going to judge the world. The church is great at judging the world. You know, we preach against homosexuality. We preach against fornicators. We preach, listen, world, don't be condemned. We got all of that stuff. Absolutely. And it's a crying shame that God is not being in a place that he can judge the church, that the church will turn. We want the world to live like Christians. No, God's going to judge the world. But the church is supposed to judge those that are within. Hey, hallelujah. The Bible says in Luke 6.37, let's go there because this is a great one that people will use. Luke 6.37 Look at your neighbor saying, I'm so glad you're here today. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Well, I thought Jesus told us in 1 Corinthians that we are supposed to judge others. We are. But there it says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. In other words, don't get yourself in the place of God. Of God. Because Jesus says in Matthew 7, chapter, if you behold something in your brother's life, let me tell you why you found it. Because there's a whole bunch of specks in your own life. You, Jiminy. Let's go to Luke, the 12th chapter. Wow. Again, we're, I'm just verifying that we are to judge others, but there are boundaries of how we judge them. How we judge them. Luke, the 12th chapter, and verse 14. I know that's in the Bible. There you go. And he said unto him, a man comes to Jesus, and he says, Hey, talk to my brother to divide the inheritance, that he give me some of it. And Jesus said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? 
What is Jesus saying? He says, I don't have the right to tell your brother anything. The law has told your brother. And if you have a problem with the law, don't try to get me to override it because I'm bound by it. And so we can't make people do things that the Word does not tell us to do. Amen? And then we, uh, we also remember John 5.30. We can't judge after ourselves. We can only judge in the way that God has laid out for us. Well, a couple more scriptures. Let's go to John 7.51. John 7.51. What a great teaching that we can judge others, but we need to be cautious. Doth our law judge any man? Now watch. Listen to this very closely. For all of the people that hear one-sided stories and all the people that are quick to rush to judgment and all the people that spew out stuff that they wish to God they hadn't said after they learned the facts, this is where it tells you to quit spewing it out. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? In other words, until you have heard the whole story, do not give me your opinion. This is how we judge others. Don't ever hear something, read something, get it off of internet, and then repeat it as I heard it. You didn't hear it. Until you heard it and know the motive and the intent by what he did at that moment, you are not a candidate for judgment. Whew. All right, let's go to Romans, the 14th chapter. Isn't this terrible? We have to do this kind of stuff? Wow, what's this? Him that is weak in the faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. Next verse. Oh, okay. For one believes that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs or herbs. Really, it's pronounced both ways. People say, oh, it's not herbs, pastor, it's herbs. I beg your pardon. Look at dictionary. It says you can call it herbs or herbs. So we just call it herbert herbs. <laughs> they used to tell me ain't wasn't a word. Finally, Webster's put it in there. He knew I was right. And it says this, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judgeth him that eateth, for God receiveth him. In other words, these are personal convictions. God may tell you not to do something. Don't do it. I would encourage you, don't do it. But if God doesn't tell me, don't rule me like you owe me, own me. Amen? Keep the specks out of your eyes. I'll deal with the ones in my eyes unless... There is a foundation of just judgment. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let's go down to verse 13. Romans 14, 13. Let us therefore, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. In other words, don't reverse, don't try to convince somebody 
that their convictions are wrong and yours are right. Don't do it. It won't work. So we see that we are to judge ourselves and we are to judge others. Somebody say judge others. Now remember, we got to do it in love. In Philippians 1.19 says, says that our love should grow in all judgment. If you don't know somebody, if you don't have insight into what they're saying and the intention of what they were doing, just help global warming. Be quiet. Save the oxygen. Hallelujah. All right. Now let's look down in Revelation, the second chapter. So Jesus is a judge. He loves judgment. All of God's judgments are righteous. We do have to judge, and there should be a reverential fear of people that commit sin and try to live in it in the midst of righteous people. Because what will happen is if you don't judge yourself, what's going to happen is you're going to get off, you're going to start allowing things in your life. And let me say this. Some of you know friends that are living in sin, committing fornication, sleeping with people, cussing and doing all this kind of stuff, and you don't say anything because you don't want to offend them. But you'd rather send them straight to hell. Remind me when you need a friend because I don't want you. You are not worth being friends with. Then visitors are saying, how long does this really last? (laughs) No, you, you need to be honest. I don't want friends that help me go to hell. I want friends, you know, one time I had... I, I was saved. I was living for the Lord, and, and uh, I had quit smoking. And uh, I went to a friend's house, uh, Bob Feathers. And he was a friend of mine for years. And uh, uh, I was there, and I said, man, Bob, could I have a cigarette? And he said, Pete, you're my friend. I'm not giving you no cigarettes. You gave them up to be a Christian, and I'm not helping you go back. Yeah. Bob Feathers did that for me. A friend that said, no, you told me this was a sin to you, and I will not help you sin against God. That's a friend. If you have friends that know you're fornicating, I encourage you, move away from them. And if you are a friend that's doing that, I encourage you to quit being an enemy of their soul and be a friend and call them close, rebuke them, pick them up, get them out of Jericho's path. Next time you see the person that's fornicating them, just look at him and said, listen to me, you whoremonger. If you are not going to live right, don't you come back to my friend's house. And if it's a woman, you just start screaming, Jezebel, Jezebel. And they'll get the message. 
I, please, I'm, I'm just telling you. Sin is horrible, folks. It's not your friend. There's nothing in it that you want. Hallelujah. I'm speaking so kind and so softly this week. I, I might get this and listen to it. I've never heard myself be so kind. Now, let, let's go to Revelations uh, verse 12. Let's go down to verse uh, 13. Let's go to 14. And it says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them that holdest the doctrine of Balaam, who've taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the ch children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Wow. Fornication. 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 Wow. What is fornication? I mean, I, I've heard so many, you know, well, it's having sex with people that aren't married or, well, adultery is having sex with somebody that is married when you're not married. Well, it all really means the same thing and it sends you to the same place. Amen. Now, the word adultery or fornication means this. Fornication means adultery. And it says, and, and it means to simply have a sexual relationship. It also means to break a covenant. It means to cause or to go a different way than you know to be right. You say, that can't be fornication. It is fornication. Now, let's turn, let's find out how many different ways there are to commit fornication. You know there's more than one way? Oh, really, man? How? <laughs> yeah, not so quick. All right. Let's go to Jeremiah 3, 6 through 11. I'm going to talk to you about four major ways that Christians can commit fornication. The end and the penalty is the same in all of them. In Jeremiah, it says this. We're going to read from 6 through 11. And the Lord said unto me in the days of Joah, Josiah the king, and who hath seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up unto every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the what? Now notice something. What is a harlot? Somebody that has sex with someone with an expectation of a reward. What are they doing? They're worshiping something other than God. Now the next verse. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all of the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce, and yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. What do we have here? The perfect picture of one Christian seeing another Christian sinning and not converting that, thinking it's not going to hurt him, but a little leaven leavens a whole bunch. You'll be like the person you're not correcting. And then next verse. And it came to pass that through lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with what? And stops. Now, that's perverted. But he's not talking about a sexual, physical act. 
He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about putting something in God's place. He's talking about putting an image or something that you create and you invest in more than you invest in God. If you don't love me more than mother, brother, sister, lands, and homes, you can't be a part of the kingdom. Oh, man, but, well, I'm going to one of them self-helps. I, I know that. I understand that. But listen to me. I'm contending for your soul with you. Not with the enemy, with you. Next verse. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but foreignly saith the Lord. Next verse. And the Lord said unto me, the backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Self-justification exempts people from judgment. It's still saying, you can't judge me, self-justification. Well, you don't know what I'm doing, self-justification. Well, where do you get the right self-justification? All of those are self-justification remarks. Now, notice what God says, that there is adultery. This type of adultery is spiritual adultery. If you go to James 4.1, James 4.1, how much time I got? Oh, now, go ahead and turn that back an hour. Thank you, bud. Appreciate you. 1048. And it says for this. From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence of your own lust and that war in your members? Ye lust, you have not. Ye kill, you desire to have. You cannot obtain. You fight in your war, yet, yet ye have not because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not because you ask to miss that you might consume it upon your own lust. Who is James writing to? The church. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. For whosoever therefore will be a friend of God, of the world, is the enemy of God. When you find yourself adapting your faith and faithfulness to the world, to appease your family, your house, you, your children, your friends. God considers it an adulterous situation. Well, you're talking like we're supposed to come out from among the world. You, yes, in one sense, but you have to balance all the other things. Why are you ashamed to tell your kids? We don't play soccer on Sunday. <laughs> Remember that witchcraft spirit. Oh, let's go next verse. There you go. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that lusteth, that dwelleth in us, lusteth to envy? Next verse. But he giveth more grace, wherefore saith that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Next. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If not, he will do what? Be enthroned over you. 
And it says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Notice what God calls, considers adulterers, fornicators, people that put idols in their life before him. He considers them sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn. Do whatever you have to do. Pull a fast. Break down. Weep before God. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. In other words, recognize how far you have fallen. That's a horrible place to be. Could I get an amen? Hallelujah. This is not my Bible. This is God's Bible. I know some of you are right now saying, I'll tell you what, this is going to be my last time in, in this church. I, well, it doesn't matter. It, it, listen, I'm not preaching because in numbers I'm preaching for your soul. And I'm telling you, just, I didn't say anything that God has not said. I did not say anything God has not said. That's one way that you commit fornication or adultery. The next is with the eyes. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, please. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. Ye have heard it that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Therewith comes adultery. You don't have to commit the act. You just have to lust to want a woman. They're the wrong of pornography. Men and women, pornography. That's lust. What is that? That's adultery with your eyes. Then go to Matthew uh, 15, 19. Woo, boy, this is a horrible one here. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. That's enough. When you're thinking of past, on a past relationship, when you're thinking about something you saw that has sexual inclinations in it, God considers your thoughts adulterous. Could have given an amen. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, pastors, for being so wise to us. Hallelujah. And then everybody else knows that we don't have to turn to this scripture. Everybody else knows fornication and adultery is the actual act of sex. Whether you're married or unsaved, it doesn't matter. Whether in your love you aren't in love. If you aren't married, then you are not allowed to have any type of sexual contact whatsoever. Oral or whatever they call the other. What, I have no idea. If you ain't married, keep your hands and your face out of it. It's a God's truth. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you. you. You want me to paint it, but you want me to preach the truth. I'm not going to. No. When anyone commits adultery or fornication, it is not just a sin to one person. Sin is never one-dimensional. Can I please, well, well, we know this. You remember the story of Achan? 
that he stole that which was holy from Jericho. And then God, um, uh, Joshua goes up to battle and he's defeated and he's defeated and he's defeated. And he calls out to God, God, what are you doing? And God says, don't look at me. You got sin in the camp. And because you got sin in the camp, your whole nation is without me. Church, if we were the church that Jesus wants us to be, our nation cannot and will not continue in a defiled state. It won't. It can't. If my people who are called by my name just humble themselves, repent, turn from their sins, I'll heal their lands. You think sickness is greater than the faith of a congregation? Absolutely not. God will heal this land. All he's looking for is a holy people. And so one sin, just like it did in Achan, remember what God did, bring Achan out here, bring his kids, his family, his kids, his family, anybody related to him, aunts and uncles, bring them all. His cats, his dogs, his oxen, and his asses, and put him there. We're going to stone him and burn him with fire. Tell Achan's kids that sin doesn't affect them. Yeah, it affects them. So it affects people. Now let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians, the uh, sixth chapter. Hallelujah. And verse 15. 1 Corinthians 6 15. Don't worry, David, we're just about done. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not? He that is joined to an harlot is of one body, for two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Every sin that a man doth doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Next verse. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? Therefore ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know when you sin, David, fornication, you sin against your own body. That's one. But when you sin, fornication, like no other sin, you sin against God because you've defiled his temple. And if you destroy the temple of God, God will destroy you, is what it says. So now we have a sin of fornication. Listen, listen to me, all ye loosey-gooseys and, you know, just do whatever you want to do because, hallelujah, God knows he, you know, you're an individual, you, you know, you're human. Well, flesh can burn just like a steak. Get your act together. Well, what should I do? If you're a male, go to Dr. Obalu, have him give you a shot so nothing will work until you say, I do. <laughs> And if you're a woman, go to his wife. She makes chastity belts. Now, I'm just telling you this. You're doing nothing but living in the flesh. And you are creating a throne of Satan. And you know what you're doing? 
you are bringing it right into the house. And you are the body of Christ. When you sin, you're sinning against us. You're sinning against your church. You're sinning against every other Holy Ghost, God-fearing, God-loving individual. You are stripping them from God's involvement in their battles and their affairs. So if you don't care about yourself, care about us. The second thing, the, well, first is God. You sin against yourself. You sin against God. Then you sin against your church. And then every man sins against his spouse. Fornication is nothing but a violation of a covenant. That's it. And you sin against your spouse. You're going to hurt her or him. You're going to break their heart. You may break their entrust to be able to live for God or to trust God or to trust others. And then the last is you sin against your children. Think of your child. Talking to a young kid the other day. Said, Pastor, I know what my dad did to my mother. I didn't know they knew. I said, well, what'd they do? I know that he slept with a woman. I said, well, you know, you have to forgive him. He said, well, I, I do forgive him. But every time I look at him, I remember he slept with another woman. Do you know that less than 25% of children that go through a divorce will ever live a monogamous relationship? Now, you think that wasn't anointed? I said monogamous, right. <laughs> you know the Holy Ghost is heavy in this place. Now, so you sin against yourself. Don't you think you're better than sin and the curse? Don't you think that God deserves more than you transgressing against him? Don't you think that your church deserves more? What did we ever do to have you open the door for the devil to reign in our lives and hinder the things that our church wants to do? I'm not just talking to single people. Some of you married people are so stinking steeped in pornography and, and steeped in perversion and steeped. Some of you having relationships. If it was up to me, praise God, God would circumcise you clear up to your belly. And I mean that. If you can't control stuff, you shouldn't have it. I'm not talking about you, Steve. I'm talking about this. <laughs> I did have a kid come to me one time. He, he, he said, man, Pastor, he said, I just, boy, he said, I, I just, man, I'm really hurting. I said, what happened, son? He said, well, you know, I read that passage of Scripture that, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it off. He said, I just kept having these lustful thoughts. And so he said, I went out in the woods and put myself privately, my private parts on a stone and just crushed it with another stone. I said, he said, but the thing of it is, it didn't work. I still lust. I said, stupid. Come and talk to somebody before you try to live a self-revelation. Are you an idiot? 
about two weeks later, I married him to the girl. <laughs> Thank God. I don't know if they had any kids or not, but boy, what an idiot. I'd have thrown a rock at her, not at myself. Gee, money. You know, no, you got to love yourself. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, then we can sin against our spouse. Now, I've never been involved in a divorce. I've never been divorced. I thought of murder a million times, but I've never, I, I've, I'm never divorced. And uh, Phil's, you know, early in our Christian life, I said, you know what? That word is not being mentioned in our household anymore. I'll divorce you. I'll divorce you. So then we started yelling, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. But, but, but you can be forgiven of killing somebody, but you can't be forgiven of divorce. So, you know, if the neighbors heard us, we can kill you. We, can, we could say, it's scriptural. <laughs> kill the old man. Now, you sin against your spouse. The dangers of hurting or offending another, it'd be better than a millstone were tied about your neck. And then you sin against your children. Those who God entrusted you with, you sin against. They don't deserve to do anything. All they've done is love you unconditionally. They've trusted you. They've depended on you. And then we violate them because of the lust of our own flesh. The gospel of the Nicolaitans was simply this. He was a heretic. He was one of the first seven deacons in the church of Jerusalem, Acts 6, 5. He and the group of his followers were heretics in the church until they were thrown out. And he believed in the teachings of Balaam and Jezebel. And he upheld it. Even though the church resisted him, He still split the church and drew away a sect of people. And Jesus said, I hate him. And I hate what he has done to my church. We cannot allow unholiness to be a part of our assemblies or of our lives. Jesus is calling us, church, awake. Cleanse your house. Purify your doctrines. Establish your belief. Do the work of righteousness. Hallelujah. Let's everybody stand to your feet. I know I've been stepping on them today. And uh, hallelujah. I want to be as plain as I can. And I want to be as clear as I can. And I want to be as in your face as I can. And there is no intention to offend you. Write God your emails, not me. They're not my words. They're not my words. Pretty plain. I've given you more than five scriptures for everything that I've said. And we need to adhere to what God said. God God believes in us. He wants us to dwell with him eternally. Those who he loves, he chastens. Never look at judgment as bad. Always look at it as God saying, come closer. Come closer. Come closer. Every head bowed, please, for just a few moments. If you're here today, and if you're not a Christian, 
simply means that your sins have separated you from God. There's only one remedy for sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus came to die for your sins, and he hung up on a cross, and he hung there to die for your sins, not for his own. It says that the blood of Jesus Christ will wash away all your sins. Though they be as scarlet, yet they shall be white as snow. Then if you're here today, maybe you're like Israel and you're a backslider. You've just started going after other things. You've, you've just forsaken what you know to do. You know right. You've just been doing it wrong. And God says, look, I'm calling to you, backslider. Come home to me. Come home to me. Jesus so wants the prodigal sons to stand in the door and receive the robe and the ring and the sandals and to sit at the table of sonship. If you're here today and you're a sinner, you're separated from God, hopelessly lost, Jesus is the only way to the Father. If you're here today and you're a backslider, you already know what you need to do. So I'm going to ask you, can we sing that song, uh, uh, nothing, no, let's sing that song uh, that you wrote about Peter. Can you, can you sing that song? Yep. Please sing that song. Hallelujah. If you're here today, you're a sinner. You're here today and you're a backslider. All kidding and all joking aside, this is your moment. Jesus is knocking on your heart. He's contending for your soul. He loves you and that's why he died for you. If you're here today and you're a sinner, if you're here today and you're a backslider, I want, to, want you to step out in the aisle that is nearest you and come down here. I want to pray with you. I want to join my faith with you. And I want to believe God for a total restoration and a total renovation of your human spirit and that you will not be the enemy of God but you'll be a child of God God will write your name in the Lamb's book of life if that's you today please step out in the aisle as we sing this song hallelujah hallelujah
Jim, James, whatever, whichever one you go by, but your birth name is James. Now, James, this is your moment. This is your time. God has marked it for you, and this is a day that the Lord has appointed. This is an appointed time for you. He has heard the cries of mothers. He's heard the cries of grandmothers and grandfathers, but he's calling to you right now. James, today is your day. Today is your day. Now, James, whether you go by Jim, Jim, whatever you go by, James, this is your moment. And we're going to sing this one more time. And I want you to step out of that aisle, into that aisle, and get down to this altar in Jesus' name. One more time, Ashley. Hallelujah. everybody in this sanctuary pray this prayer with me say Heavenly Father I believe that Jesus Christ is your son I believe that he died for me on Calvary that on the third day after being buried he was raised from the dead and I believe that he's alive now and I declare him Lord of all. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I denounce all hidden works of darkness. And Jesus, I receive you now. Come into my heart. And now as you have died for me, I will now live for you. I thank you that I'm born again. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Congratulations. 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 Hallelujah. speaking the way I spoke and acting the way I did and for the people in the congregation in which I showed discontentment with uh, I was in 2 Corinthians the spirit led me to 2 Corinthians in the 7th chapter uh, a couple days ago and it said whether we be beside ourselves or out of our mind it's for the glory of God and God will receive the glory in this because I did get the necessary attention that I needed but I'm not I'm still holding my actions accountable and 
the Lord has forgiven me and I've moved on. I ask you all to forgive me. Thank you all and I love you. Listen, we love you, Rich, and we forgive you. We grant you absolution. That'll never be remembered again, ever. God bless you, Rich. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All righty, tonight at 6.30, we're going to pray for the sick. Hallelujah. And bring the sick, the hopeless. Hallelujah. Bring your in-laws. Hallelujah. They'll be God will touch them. Praise God. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6.30.